0: Whenever you get into your planning, whenever you start investigating projects, don't ever forget to ask the question, am I doing no harm? Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. Have you ever considered the possibility that while trying to have a positive impact, you may unintentionally be doing harm in the process? Ed's going to talk about that today and also touch on selflessness and multi-generational impact. It's time to get off the bench. Let's do this. Here's your host, Ed Gillentine. Hello, this is Ed Gillentine. Thanks for joining me on this podcast about the basics of impact, which is designed to go deeper into the ideas and principles in the book, Journey to Impact. This is going to be our last session discussing signs of success for impact organizations and impact practitioners. And we've covered a lot of signs, if you will, focus, metrics, sustainability, to name a few. And during this session, we're going to talk about the idea of do no harm. And then we're going to wrap up with the idea of selflessness in an organization and multi-generational impact. So let's talk about the idea of doing no harm. Dr. Brian Fickert, wrote a book called When Helping Hurts, and if I had to just pick one book that impact-minded people should read, this would be the one, and it, its premise, extremely oversimplified, is that almost every impact-minded person has pure motives for helping others. They really want to help affect positive change, but much of the time, they ultimately cause significant negative impact on the people that they're trying to help. So in his book, he gets into the details for the many reasons that are behind this phenomenon, but it reminds me of a phrase that's often attributed to the Hippocratic Oath, which doctors swear, to do no harm. And as you work through the process of building a unique framework of impact and a unique impact strategy, it is really important that you do no harm. So as you look at the signs of success that we've talked about and you go back and review them and you hone your strategy, you constantly need to return to this question. Will what I'm doing cause harm? So on the surface, this looks pretty simple, but in practice, it can be pretty challenging. So another book that I really like, which is called Toxic Charity by a guy named Bob Lupton, he tells a story that probably will resonate with a lot of us. During the Christmas season, Bob participated in a local nonprofit organization's annual Christmas project to provide Christmas presents for the children of families in poverty, as well as providing the traditional turkey or ham for their Christmas dinner. And after some years of doing this, he noticed that there were never any men in the homes. When the gifts were delivered year after year, they never saw very many males. And after some probing and investigating, it turns out, In the attempt to help, Bob and his friends were actually emasculating the men of the house by unintentionally highlighting the fact that they were unable to provide Christmas gifts for their children and for their family. So they would quietly slip out the back door as Bob and his friends came in the front door and made their deliveries so that they could avoid the embarrassment and what probably felt like a spotlight shining on their failure. I suspect many of us have experienced exactly what Bob went through. We've provided Christmas gifts to children of the poor and underserved in our cities, and our motives have been genuine. Our hearts really want to help, and yet in many cases, we've caused significant, even if it was, unintentional harm. And it's really important that we keep in mind that the consequences of the unintentional harm can be devastating. I think it's also worth mentioning that there can be unintended consequences unintentional harm to people outside the group that you're trying to help. And you also have to be careful about that. So think about maybe a rural developing country where a poverty alleviation group decides to provide free firewood for all the villagers in a rural area that's around maybe an ag project like our apple orchard in Ethiopia. Well, if they do that, what happens to the people who were previously selling firewood to make a living, right? In the absence of of something else for them to earn income on, they have unintentionally and probably unknowingly even been robbed of their livelihood. So whenever you get into your planning, whenever you start investigating projects, don't ever forget to ask the question, am I doing no harm? You can also flip it on its head. What types of harm am I causing? And again, you remember when we were talking about sustainability, one of the best ways to find out if you're sustainable, your project is sustainable, your goal, your strategy is sustainable, is one of the same ways that you can find out if you're doing no harm. Ask the people you're helping. Ask the people you're helping. And listen carefully, because they may not always be immediately forthcoming. But if you're patient and you learn to listen, they'll be a great sounding board. Really briefly, I want to touch on selflessness and multigenerational impact, because I think while we probably all inherently know that selflessness is critical to impact, I don't think enough people talk about it. If you can say with conviction, I don't care who gets the credit for the impact, you've got one of the core values that will lead to success. It's amazing to me how many promising projects will fizzle out because of pride, right? In my experience and my observation, those that don't care who gets the credit can see more clearly. They're more open to the ideas of others. And here's a big thing. They're not typically as afraid to change courses midstream once they realize that their original idea was not working. I've noticed that one way pride seems to reveal itself in the impact world is what I call impact silos or impact territorialism. And usually a person or organization is convinced that they have some sort of proprietary process or some sort of unique knowledge in their area of impact. And how you usually see it is by their inability to work with others or to work with other organization and sort of a closed-mindedness to new ideas or strategies that others bring. So occasionally you'll run into an organization or a person that has – truly strategic advantages, but first of all, that's rare, and second of all, it's rare that people can't learn from each other, even if you do have some sort of strategic advantage in your organization. It's really rare that you can't learn from somebody else, and by working together, increase your impact significantly. By the way, I think it's worth mentioning that selfless people also attract other selfless people which seems then to create synergy and the catalytic impact that we've been talking about. I really like being surrounded by smart people, visionary people, gifted people, talented people. But I'll tell you this, I'll take humble and open-minded people to smart and arrogant people on my team any day of the week. Let's talk about multi-generational impact as we wrap up these sessions on Signs of Success. And part of multi-generational impact we've already discussed because it relates to sustainability. But another aspect of multi-generational impact has to do with the scope of your impact. There's a lot of impact areas that have a clear end point from a perspective of time, right? So if you think about the time frame for rescuing the victims of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, 2005, and then beginning the process of rebuilding, that was relatively short, right? Right. But the actual rebuilding process takes years. And I think the main thing I want you to consider for purposes of multi generational impact is the idea of passing on the vision and purpose of the founders to the next generation. I suspect there needs to be an entire book on the subject, but for this podcast, I want to simplify it as much as I can. First, multi generational impact requires flexibility, right? So even within our own lifetime, we see seismic shifts in most areas of impact that we're involved in. And so go back to the illustration of Hurricane Katrina. An organization or a family that focuses on disaster recovery simply has different tools, different technology, different knowledge that would make their response look a lot different now than in 2005. And can you imagine how different it would look now than in the years immediately after World War II? Or maybe even 100 years ago. That doesn't mean that an impact organization that's focused on disaster recovery changes their mission or their vision over the next 100 years, but it means they need to have some built-in flexibility so that their strategic planning process can change and adjust depending on the circumstances. Another thing that's required for a multi-generational impact is balance. And I, I mean by that, There needs to be enough financial resources so that they can plan strategically and methodically and for long periods of time. But you don't need to have so much money that it fosters lethargy or empire building. And that's become sort of an issue nowadays because you have some organizations with humongous endowment funds that could go on for hundreds of years, I guess, mathematically But there's an awful lot of serious and significant need in our world today. Should we be a little bit more aggressive with our resources? And and I think in many cases, the answer is yes. But having balance, which you never probably fully achieve, but to be aiming for balance for the long term and the short term. And again, think multi-generational. You're talking 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. That balance is a really critical piece of the puzzle. If you're not, and, and I'll say this about money. Remember earlier, we, I think I quoted Confucius, who said that money makes an excellent tool but a terrible master. When it comes to endowment funds and budgets, sometimes we build such a strong and sustainable financial war chest that we can unintentionally create inflexibility and have a tyrannical master in the future. So keep that in mind. Multigenerational impact requires flexibility. It requires balance. And lastly, multigenerational impact has to be in the organization's or the family's DNA. And by that, I mean it requires a deeply passionate heart to have catalytic impact that is more than simply intellectual. We can't just write books about it or white papers. The desire to have multi-generational, catalytic impact has to come from the soul of the person or the soul of the organization. And if the leadership of an impact organization or the leaders of a family see it simply as a job or an obligation or a way to build personal influence, ultimately, it's going to fail. Multi-generational success is really rare. To prove my point, sometime in the next day or two, take about five minutes and name 10 commercial organizations that have been around for more than 100 years. They're there, right? But it's going to take you a few minutes to come up with 10 names. And I say that to point out just how challenging it is. But just because it's challenging doesn't mean we don't do our best to plan for it. So I'm going to wrap up our discussions on signs of success And we've really only briefly touched on them, right? And I want to say that these are not comprehensive, right? And some are more or less critical depending on the culture or the circumstances surrounding your area of impact. But I would submit to you that they're at least worth considering as you go through the process of honing your framework for impact. An impact organization or an impact practitioner that's not seriously wrestling with each one of these signs of success and the questions that we've talked about over the last few podcasts is going to greatly diminish their impact. You've heard me say before that I hate reinventing the wheel. And if we've got these signposts, these guidelines, that successful organizations and successful impact practitioners have laid out for us, why in the world would we not take advantage of them? The next time we're going to talk about warning signs, right? But in the meantime, remember these three words, embrace, build, and act. That is, embrace your unique vision of impact. Keep building your unique impact strategy and get off the bench. Get into the game. Remember, Our world needs you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Ed and Journey to Impact, visit edgillentine.com. E-D-G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E dot com. Also, please share this podcast with someone that would benefit from it. We would really appreciate you spreading the word about this show and the message. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.